you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter number 2. Appreciate that song. He lives. Amen. I'm glad he lives within my heart. And I know that. And I hope you know that as well. Uh, you know, when uh, some, one time a, a person had gotten saved and, uh, and, they, and uh, this preacher was talking with them. And, and they said, well, how, how will I know? And, and the preacher said this. He said, well, let me ask you something. He said, if you went home tonight... He said, and somebody had moved into your house. He said, they moved in, and uh, man, they brought a bed, and they, they put their bed there, and when you got home tonight, they were living in your house. He said, would you notice? And they said, well, certainly I would notice. He said, well, that's what Jesus does in your life. He moves in, amen, and, uh, and you just know it. He's in there, and, uh, and you can just tell that the Lord is there with you. So I appreciate that song. And uh, listen to the meanings of the words of the songs we sing. I was struggling to hit that lives. It was really up there. Uh, but, uh, but I appreciate that song. Romans chapter number 2 and verse number 17. We're going to take our text as we continue through Romans. Uh, tonight I've placed the title of the message as motive matters. Motive matters. Uh, Romans chapter number 2 and verse number 17. The Bible says this. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law. Let me stop right there just for a moment. We've been talking about the, uh, uh, Paul has been going through, and, and in chapter 1, in my opinion, he was dealing more so with the Gentile people who were not the Jewish people, who had not received the law of the Old Testament, and he was showing how that they were without excuse. You'll remember the verse uh, that he said they're without excuse because God did reveal himself to them through creation, even though they did not have the word of God. In chapter 2, he starts dealing more so with the Jews, and, uh, and he comes right out and says it here in verse number 17, where we started out tonight. He says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and, the, and of the truth in the law. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. Father, thank you for the way that, uh, that you deal with us as children. Thank you for the fact that we know that you live within our heart. And God, I pray that you would just speak to each and every heart uh, that's tuned in tonight, Father, to your word. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at our text this evening, uh, I want to start out this way by, by giving us an illustration. I've always liked cars and motors and, and things of that nature. I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I found out young that I, uh, I very much so enjoy taking things apart and putting things back together. And I remember when I was young, of course, I took something everyone does well, everyone who tinkers does this at some point in their life. They take something apart that they can't put back together. And uh, I remember getting in trouble for that because of my brother's new car. And uh, that didn't go over well. Uh, toy car, not a, not a real car. I didn't, I didn't graduate that quick. Um, but uh, I remember when I was 13, uh, I had bought a motorcycle and it had a blown motor. And, uh, and man, I was excited about that thing. I picked it up for 10 bucks. And uh, man, I tore that whole motor down. I replaced the piston on the inside. I put it all back together. And man, I enjoyed riding that thing around. And you think, uh, man, that was, uh, I had a lot of fun. You know, the most, the most enjoyable part was the fact that I knew that, hey, I had repaired that thing. Now, it wasn't pretty to look at. I admit that. I'm not the, I'm the first one to tell you it wasn't very pretty. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't some wonderful thing, but it was a functioning motorcycle. Uh, at 13, man, I, I had fun. Uh, I rode the trails. I rode here and there and everywhere. And uh, and I really enjoyed that. And even to this day, um, I like, I enjoy cars. I enjoy motors. I enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, but I'll tell you this, um, people, most people, many people like a new looking car. And I don't blame them. 
Um, I mean, nobody wants a rust bucket looking car. I was on my way to church. I was thinking about it tonight, and, and I see cars all over on the road. You know, they're dented. They're, they're rusty. Uh, they have this issue or that issue. But then at the same time, they're driving. They're running. And, uh, and I've always thought this. I would rather have a functioning car than the most beautiful car that you could have with a blown motor sitting in your driveway. It's not going to go in. It might look really pretty. I mean, all your neighbors might be envious. And man, that, you can go out there, wash it every day. You can polish it. And it can look really beautiful. But at some point, they're going to realize he never drives that car uh, because the motor's blown. And it's not going to have much value to you because the, it doesn't run. It doesn't uh, function. And, uh, and I think probably your boss would rather that you have a car that functions that may have a dent in the door than to have a beautiful car sitting in your driveway that can't take you to work. And, uh, and so there's something to that idea of having uh, something that is functional. Now, if you have a functional car that looks nice on the outside, hey, praise the Lord, that's all the better. You got both of the worlds, and, uh, and you're, you're that better off. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, certainly a good thing. Uh, but as we think about that idea, I want us to understand that God prefers our insides to be... We can... We can and a lot of people have the outside all put together, and it looks like a nice, shiny car, and there's nothing wrong with that, but God would rather our inside be right as well. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 7, as Samuel is going to uh, anoint the new king for Israel. Of course, that was David, and, uh, and he's looking at all the other brothers, and, uh, and, and God says no, and God says no, and finally God points out the right person, and God told this to Samuel, but the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on his height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. There's a whole lot of truth packed into that Old Testament verse that we're going to look at in Romans because uh, here Paul really points out a lot of things. The first thing that we notice in our text tonight in Romans chapter number 2 is the privilege of being a Jew. Now in my opinion, there is a privilege of being a Jew. And look in verse number 17, the very first thing that he starts out with. He says, Behold, thou art called a Jew. In other words, there was a calling and there was a, a, a name. There was a, an association with that calling. I cannot claim to be a Jew. It doesn't matter if I adapt all the Old Testament principles. I am not a Jew because I'm not a Jew by birth. A Jew was somebody who had been separated. You remember when God called Abraham out in Genesis chapter number 12. And verse number one, he said, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And to this day in Sunday school we sing, Father Abraham had many sons. And we sing that song, why? Because Abraham was the father of Israel. It started out with a calling from God when God said, hey, I want you to get up and I want you to separate yourself from the rest of your family, from your homeland, and I want you to go to a place that I am going to show you. Now that's a special calling. I don't care how you write it down. That is something that only God can do. That is something that is a marvelous calling. And in my opinion, that is a privilege that God would separate himself out a people. And God promised Abraham that he would make them a nation uh, that was so great as the sand of the sea could not be numbered and as the stars of the sky could, be not, could not be numbered. And so there was a calling that God separated out the Jews, and that was a privilege for them. Listen, as we think about that, I just want to correlate this. Uh, as Christians, I want to be careful that we don't uh, uh, assume uh, that as Christians, all the Jewish uh, promises apply to us. They do not. But there is a correlation that we can draw. As the Jews were separated out and God called Abraham, listen, as Christians, we are called out. 
We are called to be separate from the world. Uh, and the Bible is very clear about that. A matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Listen, it is a privilege to be a Christian that's separated to God. To be separated from the world. To be called out from the world. I'm glad that Jesus saved me and I'm glad that I've been born again. And, and I hope you're glad that you've been born again. And I'm glad that God has asked me, hey, to be separate from the world. And yes, sometimes there's that struggle and sometimes there's that draw that the world is constantly pulling us back over into the world. But hey, it's a privilege to be saved this evening. And thank the Lord for that calling. Listen, those Jews, they were called out. Not only that, uh, I want you to notice that Jacob, uh, remember Abraham had his son Isaac, and uh, Isaac then uh, got married, and he had a set of twins, uh, Jacob and Esau. And then, uh, of course, you know that whole story, and Jacob was eventually separated out, and Jacob, the Bible says that he wrestled with God. And at that time, God called, changed his name to Israel. That's where the nation of Israel came from. And, uh, and we find that Israel means a prince of God. What a privilege to be called an Israelite, a Jewish person. By the way, uh, God promised in the Old Testament that uh, those who bless the Jewish nation will be blessed. And that's why America needs to stand with Israel. I believe firmly for years God has blessed America largely because we have stood with Israel. Over the years. And we separate from that. I tell you what, that's dangerous ground to be walking on because you don't want to go against the Word of God. You don't want to go against what God has clearly stated in His Word. And so I'm just saying that, uh, listen, there was a privilege for them to be called out. There was a privilege for, his, for Jacob to be renamed Israel and to be called a prince of God. What a privilege. Listen, that, that kind of correlates with our Christianity as well because the Bible says in John 1, 12, uh, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, uh, even to them that believe on his name. Listen, a lot of people say, well, we're, aren't we all the children of God? No, we're not all the children of God. Uh, you can't say that because the Bible's clear, hey, those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are called the sons of God. What a privilege for us to be called the sons of God. What a privilege for Jacob to be called a prince uh, of God or, or a prince of God. What a privilege for us to be called the sons of God. And certainly there is a privilege in that calling. In Romans 2.17 we see that, Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest, in the law and makest thy boast of God. God has shown himself time and time again throughout the Old Testament, his power. Uh, I read years ago, many, many years ago, a book about the gods of Egypt, and, uh, and, and I don't remember them all, but all the judgments that God proclaimed on Egypt when Israel was in captive uh, was against one of the gods, the Egyptian gods. And so the lice... It was like the God of lice. The boils, it was the God of boils. It was the, the river that turned to blood. It was the God of the river. And every one of those was God saying, listen, I am the supreme God. And I am more powerful than any God that exists in the known world. And, uh, and God has proven himself time and time again. What a privilege for us to be able to refer to him as our father. Uh, that is a privilege and there is a calling, and they rested, and they made their boast in God. Not only the privilege of the calling, but I want you to notice in verse number 18, and he says, and knowest his will. What a privilege. I put down there the comprehension of God's will. The comprehension of God's will. Listen, a lot of people are, are unsure. Now, listen, there's, there's two things I want to describe real quickly. Uh, one is the, the specific will of God for your life. I might not know what God wants for your life, but then there's the general will. I know exactly what God wants because he's written it down for us. And you can know too, hey, it's God's will that every person be saved. 
Not every person's going to, but it is God's will, it's his desire that every person would put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's will that every person would read and meditate on the Word of God. It's God's will that every person would walk and have a good relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for us. That's His will. And that's clear throughout Scripture. We could go on and on and on about what God wants for us. And, uh, and certainly the Jews would say, hey, we knew the will of God. Why? Look at verse number 18. And knewest His will, knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Because God had written down his will for the Jewish people. This, he said very clearly, this is what I want you to do. This is what I expect from you. And they did that, and they knew what God wanted from them. Uh, and listen, uh, the will of God is, is contained in the word of God. And that correlates to us today, too. Uh, I, I have to say this because uh, I'm amazed at people I've run into, uh, and I'll say this, that the Holy Spirit or God will never guide you contrary to His work. He never will. It will not happen because He's given us His Word and He expects us to live within the confines of His Word. Why do I say that? I say that because I've run into people and... Uh, and I'm like, oh, what church you go to? And they're like, oh, we don't go to church. But we're good with God. God. God told us we don't have to go to church. Wait a minute. No. You know what? Jesus Christ gave his blood for the church. He died for the church. Don't tell me that God's going to lead you out of the church and you're just going to stay home and not go to church anywhere. That is certainly not God's will. Uh, it never has been. Uh, the whole New Testament talks about the church and the local church. And so, uh, so we need to understand, uh, because I've run, into, I've run into many people that, are, that think that's okay. No, it's not okay. Uh, the Bible's very clear on that. And so the Jews were privileged, and we are privileged, with the comprehension of the will of God. And we're blessed, listen, because we have the Word of God in our hand. Man, I tell you what. There is, there is nothing like knowing that we have the Word of God with us. I have been to places. When I was in Peru, they, uh, uh, of course, Spanish is a very common language. So we're learning Spanish is not a problem. And, and then having the Spanish Bible uh, has quite a history. And I, I learned a lot of the history. It goes back to the 15th. It actually predates the King James Bible. Uh, and it goes back to the 1500s and, and some of the translation. I love the history of it. It's interesting. But there's another language in Peru. It was called Quechua. It's the, from the Inca Indians. And there's, it's a dying language. It's not a language that is, uh, that's widely used or popular. But in all reality, there's not a good source of Scripture in the Quechua language. And I think to myself, it really breaks my heart for the people who speak Quechua and do not know Spanish, which may be very few, if, if any, but they don't have the Word of God. But that's just an isolated place, but there's lots of places over in Asia. There's lots of places in India. There's lots of places in many of the parts of the world that do not have the Word of God completely translated. You don't understand how blessed we are to every person have a Bible, bring it to church, hold it in your lap and open it up and I can say turn to Romans and I can read and we can all follow along because the words are all the same and there's no difference. We are blessed to have the Word of God. What a blessing for us. What a blessing to be able to comprehend and understand the Word of God and be able to know and determine God's will for our life. And, and, and listen, uh, the Jews were blessed in that way. It was a privilege to have the comprehension of the Word of God. Look with me at 19 and 20. And he says this, And are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Not only the uh, comprehension, but also the confidence of the Word of God. I tell you what, it is a privilege to be able to lead somebody and say, look, here's what the Word of God says. 
and show somebody how they can be born again. That's a privilege. That's something that we, we can enjoy doing. That's something that we can walk through and, man, uh, and teach somebody. And, uh, man, in Peru, I had a, a great privilege. I, I was constantly discipling people. Because many of them, they didn't know the Word of God. They didn't know uh, the Gospels. They didn't know the Old Testament. And so we would go through discipleship time and time again. And there's nothing uh, to me better than sitting down and teaching somebody the Word of God. I enjoyed that. Why? Because I know that, hey, they're, they're kind of living in darkness, if I can say it that way. And, uh, and I have the opportunity to help them understand the Word of God. That's what he's saying there in verse number 19. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. Listen, that little song we sing in Sunday school, this little mine. I'm going to let it shine. Hey, you have a great opportunity going out into the lost world every single day to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let people know, hey, I'm, I'm saved. I'm a born-again Christian. And I know that the Lord changed my life, and He will change your life too. We have that opportunity. That's a confidence that they had. The Jews had that. It was a privilege to know God and know who He was and to be able to help others to find out who was God. But in, in verses uh, 19 and 20, as we looked at them, I want you to understand too that Paul is right on the edge of a turning point. And he's going to tell the Jews how this is a problem for him. And, and there's one thing that I do want us to understand about confidence. Listen, there's a danger for new people in becoming overconfident. Um, and, and you know, when you, uh, of course, teaching people to drive, our daughter's learning to drive. I won't give you her name. I don't want to embarrass her. There's only one. But she's learning to drive. And, and uh, teaching all my kids to drive in the past, there's that danger of, man, I've got this. You know, you, you told me where the gas pedal is. You told me where the brake pedal is. I've got this. I can do that and jump in the car and be overconfident and charge through a stop sign. Been there, done that. I was in the passenger seat, not the driver. There's that overconfidence of, man, I know what I'm doing. No, you, you don't. And there's, a, there's a, a problem or a danger of being overconfident and, and charging into something not knowing. But listen, that's, that's for newer converts. Uh, listen, there's a danger in older converts as well. Somebody who's been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and uh, there's a danger of them becoming overconfident. And what's that? And I've been doing this so long that I know how to do it. And I don't need the Lord. I can do this on my own. That's a great danger. And that's where Paul is right on this turning point with these Jews. And he's about to turn the whole conversation. He's been discussing the privilege that they have. And certainly they did have a privilege of being called a Jew, just like we have a privilege of being called a Christian, of being saved. They had the privilege of comprehension of the Word of God and the will of God. And certainly we have the, that same privilege of being a Christian and understanding the Word of God and the will of God. And then there was the confidence, hey, they had been established for a long time, just like our Christendom has been established for some time. And listen, you might be new, but uh, listen, Christianity has been around for a while. And we can have a confidence in it. It's not something new that has just popped up and there's that confidence. But look with me in verses 21 down through 24 as Paul turns the conversation. Look at what he says. Verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself that thou preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking of the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Wow, that's a serious indictment that Paul charges against them. 
And so he's laid out the privileges, and there are privileges of being Jewish. There are privileges of being a Christian. But then he goes on and he says, listen, uh, there, there's a problem of the puffed up pride that comes within you uh, that becomes a problem. Look at how he addresses it. In verse 21, uh, he, he kind of throws a bunch of, of questions at them. And he says, thou therefore which teachest another, and they did teach others, he says, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? And, and he addresses a situation of stealing. Now, I don't think uh, that they were stealing in, in the way uh, of going around and, and pickpockets. In Peru, we had a, a large problem with pickpockets, and we learned to identify that real quick and, and identify the uh, problems or, or uh, who it was. That, I mean, if anybody that kind of gets close to you or hangs around you uh, for a while, you know, hey, they're probably scouting you and they're about to pick your pocket, so you better watch out. And we learn to watch for that. But I don't think Paul is addressing that. I don't think he's talking about armed robbery. Turn back with me to Malachi chapter number 3. Malachi chapter number 3. Save your spot there in Romans as we'll be back there. And I think this is what Paul was addressing. I think it was known to the Jewish people. I think it was something that was common amongst the Jewish people. Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 7. He says this. Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 7. He says, Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine own. Ordinances. In other words, they have walked away many times from the Word of God. That's one of the problems that the Jewish people had. If you know the Scripture, you know that to be true. And he says, and have not kept them. Verse 7 goes right along with pastor's message this morning. He said, return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? And he goes on to the passage that we're rather familiar with, we've heard. He says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. And he goes on, of course, we've heard this passage. It's been used in churches. But of course, it was directly given to the Jewish people. And he was saying, listen, this is a problem. You're teaching other people that they need to tithe. You're teaching other people that they need to give to the church, but you're not giving to the church. Listen, Brother Tim LeVere covered this on Wednesday night, did an excellent job. But way back in 1 Samuel chapter number 3, uh, when, when Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were at the temple, one of the problems them, one of the many problems with them is that they were, they were taking the offerings that the, the, the people would bring to the temple. Remember, the, the offerings were not financial in those days, though that was one thing that may come in. One of the things they would do was meat offerings that was very frequent. And God had dedicated a way that the, the Levites could take a portion of that meat, a proper portion, and use that to feed themselves. There was nothing wrong with that. God had set that up to take care of the Levites. But in the case of Hophni and Phinehas, they were taking uh, more than what they were supposed to take. They were taking an improper amount. They were taking it at the wrong time. They were taking it from the wrong offering. And effectively, they were robbing from God. The Bible's clear about that. Matter of fact, the very sad portion of that scripture says that they caused the men of the temple, they caused the people who would come to the temple to abhor the house of God. What a sad statement. And I just point that out because in Malachi, God is indicting them for having stolen from God. And that had gone on uh, often. That was a common problem that went all the way back to the days of Samuel and all the way back to the days of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. And I'm saying it's not a new problem that just popped up and God said, we've got to deal with this. He said in verse number 7, this is something that has gone on in time and time again and you guys have departed from my ordinances you are not following my word is what he was saying and he's saying you need to get back to the word of God and they're saying well how have we done that and he said he said listen you're a robbing from God and and they're thinking well how can a man rob from God and he said very clearly by not giving tithes and offerings and then he goes uh, go back to Romans chapter number two where we're at 
Romans 2, and he says in verse number 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? And listen, there's, uh, there was a problem, and I know that that is an Old Testament portion, but listen, the principle is given in the New Testament time and time again. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. I heard a preacher one time tell this. He said, you ever get, the, uh, you get your cereal, you get your chip bag, and you open it up, and it's half empty. You know why that's like that? Because it's not pressed down, it's not shaken together. When God blesses a giver, listen, my friend, he's not going to give you a half full bag of chips and a half bag full of, of cereal. Uh, he's going to shake it down, and he's going to press it all together, and he's going to the bag up is what the principle that God is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm not going to give you a half empty bag. It's going to be pressed down. It's going to be shaken together so that it can be full. And he goes on and he says, and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You cannot out give God. It's not possible. That's a principle in the New Testament. Not only that, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, he said, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when, gatherings when I come. And so the idea is, listen, that we are to give our tithes and our offerings to the church. That's the idea. And, uh, and listen, that's a principle that goes back in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. I think it's long, of, long about verse number 9 or somewhere in there that says we ought to give our first fruits to God. That's the best I have, I have always, ever since um, I learned about tithing. I was little, I, uh, I, don't know, I don't remember if I got an allowance. I think my dad used to give me an attaboy. You know what an attaboy is? Pat you on the head and say, attaboy, son. You did good. That's what my, that was my allowance, I think. Got attaboys. But uh, when I got a job and I actually had money, I was always careful to separate that first part. Why? That's just scriptural. I want the first check that comes out of my checkbook when my, when my money is deposited in my account. I want my first check to be to the church. Why? Because I believe that's scriptural. It's the first fruits. It's the first thing that I get. I want God to be first in my, in my finances. I want God to be first in my life. I want God to have the priority. And what Paul is saying here in verse 21 is he's saying, listen, you teach other people to tithe. You better be tithing too. I told our teachers in our teachers meet, I said, listen, you can't teach on giving if you're not giving yourself. You can but it ain't right. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Jews. He said, because the Jews had, had started, uh, they, were, they were demanding the tithe. They were, uh, they, the Pharisees, they were saying, well, you give this and you give that. And they were demanding of other people what they themselves were not willing to do. And it was a problem. And Paul is pointing that out. Not only the stealing that was going on in verse number 21, but look at the sacrilege of verse number 22. He said, thou that sayest, uh, thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? And so we find that in, in verse number 22, he's talking about the sacrilege that was taking place there. Sacrilege simply means this, the crime of violating or profaning sacred things. You know our body is a sacred thing. Turn with me. Save your spot in Romans chapter 2. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And verse number 18. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Just over a couple pages there after the book of Romans is 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 18. And look what he says. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now I know there's a difference between a fornication and adultery, but I'm just telling you this, that hey, there's a, there's a, a thing in the Word of God that, that, that any kind of sexual sin, you're sinning against your own body. You are causing yourself problems. And the Bible is very clear that our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. It is a sacred place. It is like uh, coming into the church. I, I remember hearing a preacher say this many times. He said, man, uh, or not many times, one time, a long time ago, and I've never forgot it. He said, what would happen if you walked in here Sunday morning?" And, and, uh, and somebody on Saturday night had broke into the church, and man, they spray-painted all over the walls. They turned over the pews, and you walked in here, man, it, it would make you mad. It'd make me mad. It, it, I, I'd, be, I'd be upset that somebody would come in and violate and, and destroy the house of God. Now, we know that this is not, God doesn't dwell here. God dwells within us. But I tell you what, we try to be good stewards of what God has given us. And we try to take care of what God has given us. In this building, uh, we, we believe and we've separated it to God. It's God's building. Though God does not dwell here, uh, we, we have tried to administer everything in good faith uh, so, that, so that it can be honoring to God. And the fact that somebody would come in here and defile this place would make me angry. And he said but we do the same thing with our bodies all the time because our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And we need to make sure that we're pure. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 5, um, I, didn't, I didn't write the verse down, um, but it's Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 28. It says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already, in his heart. That's the New Testament principle. And what I'm saying is, Paul is saying, listen, that we need to be very careful that if we're going to teach and we're going to stand up before other people that we, and we're going to proclaim that Jesus Christ has saved us, hey, that we ought to live a separated life and a right life. It's tough to witness to other people when we're not right. It, it's less effective because... Uh, listen, it's visible. They might not know. They might not see all the inner workings. They might not see uh, the secret things that go on in your life. But I tell you what, the effectiveness of it is lacking when we're not right with God. And so Paul saying that. He's telling the Jews, listen, this is what you have done. Uh, you effectively are committing sacrilege and, and you're uh, telling people to, to not do this, but you're doing that. And then he goes on and he says, thou abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? That's simply the crime of violating or profaning sacred things. In other words, that you would elevate something above God himself. Listen, if this pulpit were to represent God and my Bible were to represent God and if I were to take my, uh, my cell phone over here and I were to put it up here and I'd say, you know what, man, uh, this is more important than God right now. You say, man, that's... But yet we do it day to day in our lives. When we box out God and we set him aside and we put our Bible off on a shelf and we say, oh, that's, you know, I don't need that until Sunday rolls around and I go back to church Man, I can't go anywhere without my cell phone. I, I go off somewhere and, man, I'm going to turn around and go back and get my cell phone because I can't live without my cell phone. We elevate things and we create sacrilege. What would it be like if every person treated their Bible like they treated their cell phone? I can't go anywhere without it. Man, I got to open it up first thing in the morning. Man, what a, what a blessing that would be if you treated your Bible like your cell phone. And what he's saying is that, that you're elevating other things, and the Jews were doing that. It was a real problem uh, that people noticed, and it became a problem to, uh, to, to the, uh, the people. And look at what he says in verse 23 and 24. We can see their stealing. We can see their sacrilege in verse 22. Look at the, their, their verse 23. He says, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, thou through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God 
For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. I wrote down, I like this word. I haven't heard it in a long time. Sanctimonious. There you go. There's a fun word to say. Sanctimonious. That simply means this. The action or practice of acting as if one were morally superior to other people. Does that not describe the Pharisees? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you Jewish people have elevated yourselves above God and, and you've become puffed up with pride to the point that you, you don't practice these things that you're teaching and yet you think that you're better than other people. And he's telling them, listen, this is a problem. And they're puffed up with pride. And he said in verse 24 that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. What a sad state. In other words, that people would look at their life and would be turned off to God. I can, I can tell you I've run into many people right, wrong, or indifferent. Sometimes people interpret things wrong, and sometimes people put up an excuse, but sometimes there's validity to it. Let us not be the cause of people not coming to Christ. Let us not be like this Jewish people that Paul is indicting here and he's telling them, listen, you're puffed up from your pride and you've become too big for your own britches and you're living a lie and it's blasphemous to the Lord and you're sanctimonious and you're sacrilege and you're stealing and all of that is because of a puffed up pride in your life. And he's saying, be careful of that. Look with me at the proclamation that he gives them. We can see their pride in, in those verses. Look at the proclamation that he leaves them with. And this is kind of the heart of the message. He says in verse number 25, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Let me just stop there and say this. Because the Bible deals with circumcision a lot. Circumcision is simply de defined as the removing of the foreskin of males. Okay? That's just a simple definition of it. It was established by God in the Old Testament. God set it forth as a sign between the Jews and himself. Matter of fact, Genesis 17, 1, you can write it down. That, that's where, it, or 17, verse 11, excuse me, Genesis 17, 11, it says, And ye shall circumcise your flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. It was a, it was a sign of the covenant between the Jews and God. And, and the Jews were reminded of that on a regular basis. In the law, they had to be circumcised on the eighth day. That was the, uh, the Jewish law. And, uh, and listen, it might have not been something that was outwardly visible uh, to everyone else, but it was something that the Jews were well aware of within themselves. And they were regularly reminded, I am a Jew. This is a covenant between God and myself. But it wasn't necessarily something that was... Uh, that was outwardly visible, but it was a token symbol to the Jew. I was talking to my family this week, and, and I said, well, it's kind of like, uh, I wasn't discussing that, but uh, we were kind of laughing about uh, how people treat, uh, have you been vaccinated? And I thought, well, that's kind of personal. You want to know my medications I take too? You want to know my, my, my medical record? I'll give you, you want me to supply that for you? And, but it's yet so open today that everyone's, oh, have you been vaccinated? And that's like the common question that uh, strangers in the supermarket will ask you. And I say, well, I, hey, you know, that's getting a little personal. You know, I, it's kind of funny, but the Jews kind of talked about that. They were circumcised. They knew that they were circumcised because it was a sign, but it was a physical sign. And he says in verse 25, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. That's not possible, physically speaking. But that is possible that God would say, listen, you, you, there's a covenant with that you made. But listen, you've broken that covenant. And it's as if you are no longer a Jew. And that's like having that beautiful car sitting in your driveway with no motor. It's, it looks nice on the outside, and it might be polished, and it might look really fancy, but it's, it's not going anywhere. 
That's what God is saying in verse 25. Look at verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision, that would be the Gentile, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? In other words, there was an obedience in heart. Look with me at verse 27. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. In other words, God is saying, Paul is saying here to the Gentiles, and to the Jews rather, that listen, if the Jews follow the, the law that they have, talked about that earlier, the, the little bit of light that their conscience has, and if they live in accordance with a good heart towards God, that, uh, that that's more acceptable to God than a Jewish person who has a covenant with God who doesn't obey a lick of the law of God and goes contrary to the word of God. It's a heart issue. It's not an external issue. It's something that's inside is what he's talking about. And he said, listen, the obedience uh, rather than the outward show uh, is more important to God. Look with me in verse number 28 and 29. And he says it again. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning in the adult Sunday school class, that listen, that we'd have a good conscience before God. That's what Paul is bringing out. He's saying, listen, it's not the outward. The overt truth is the content of the heart matters more than the works of the flesh. And it's confusing for Jewish people. It's confusing for Christian people. Not confusing in, in that it's hard to understand. It's rather easy to understand. But it's something that in our mind really gets flipped. And we think, well, if I'm, if I'm serving the Lord, then I must be right with God. That's not necessarily the case. And what's in the heart is so important. And that's why Paul is addressing this. Let me just make this clear as well. Paul is not dealing with salvation right yet. I want that to be clear. We're not, we don't have a works-based salvation. So I want that to be very clear. Uh, but Paul is saying, listen, what is in the heart is so important for God. We go back to our verse that we started out with in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I heard a preacher, I saw a preacher one time say this. Well, he preached a whole message. He was preaching the whole idea of the outward versus the inward. And he started out his message, and I, I almost did this, but I, uh, it's, he went through a lot of work to do that. And, and, and he, he preached, he said, man, don't I look good? Had, I mean, he looked sharp. I mean, he was dressed to the T. And, and halfway through his message, he unbuttoned his coat, and his tie was shredded from there down. Shredded. That's why I didn't do it. I didn't have any ties to shred. He said, well, you thought I looked really good in the beginning. And he took his shirt off, and there was oil spots on it, and it was ripped, and it was tore up. And he popped one of his shoes off and his sock had a big, the whole toe was missing. His feet were bare in there. And he said, you thought I looked really good on the outside. But what you couldn't see was all the problems that are there. And listen, God, he, he doesn't look as man does. We, you look nice tonight. You look sharp. But you know what? God looks to our heart. And more important than what I think or what any other person in this room thinks is what God thinks of our life. And that's the whole point that Paul was boiling down to. He said, yes, you're privileged. There's no doubt about it. Listen, we are one of the most privileged nations in the world. We have liberty. We have freedom to preach the word of God. We have history with the word of God. By the way, that's why our nation started is because they were seeking religious freedom and they wanted to be able to worship God how they wanted to. And listen, uh, we are privileged this evening. But let's not become prideful. Let's not become puffed up. 
with the privileges that God has granted us, let's not become higher than the rest of the world and those that are around us. Let's not lose our compassion for reaching the lost and getting the gospel to those who are less privileged than us. They've not been taught the word of God. They don't have the gospel. They don't, they don't have all the blessings in their life that we have. Let us be sure that we are serving the Lord in good spirit, as Paul said. It's not the letter of the law, but the spirit and the praise of God, he said in the last verse. With every head bowed and every eye closed this evening as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for, God, in, in truth, what a privilege we have to be called a Christian. God, I count it a great privilege to have been raised in a Christian home my whole life. To not know there's a I can't remember the day, God, that there was, that I didn't know there was an Old Testament and a New Testament. I don't know a day that I didn't know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. What a privilege. And yet, God, I'm reminded time in and time out that to whom much is given, much is required. And God, we've been blessed. There's no doubt about it. We acknowledge that. We're grateful for that. Help us not to become high-minded. Help us not to become sanctimonious. And think more highly of ourselves than those who are lost and without you. But help us to have a burden, a compassion, and a desire to reach those who are less privileged than us. I pray that you'd touch each and every heart. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, God's spoken to your heart. I thank God for the privilege you have. Man, we're privileged. We are blessed. There's no doubt about it. Maybe it's high-mindedness. Whatever the need. As the piano plays, the altar's open.